It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Our Friday programs are always slightly different. We're, we're going to start off with like real serious stuff, and particularly Fridays in the summer, I, I try to move to some more fun, lighter stuff as, as the program goes on. That's just, don't always succeed in doing that, and sometimes current events dictate it, but a lot of interesting things on today. Program. So if it's one of those things about, I'm not in the mood for really serious stuff, it's 70 degrees outside, looking forward to the weekend, well, hang on. And if you're like, oh, no, I, I just don't you understand, Jeff, the world is ending. I, I want to I wanna hear about that sort of stuff. Well, okay, we're, we're going to have some of that stuff as well. Uh, I understand. I, I talk a lot about criminal justice issues, and I do it because I think livability of a community is driven by crime. And I I don't think it's a chicken-the-egg thing. I mean, sometimes people say, well, if you have better economic conditions and things, you wouldn't have crime. I don't know if that's true or not. But I, I do know that as long as you have rampant crime, you are never, ever, I think, going to have growth in a community because people aren't going to invest in areas – if you're starting a business – and it's a high crime area. You're, you're, you are not going to invest your money into opening up a store or providing, you know, services. Now, may, maybe government will do that. But as far as individual businesses, if you want to start a, a gas station, for example, or a convenience store or whatever, you're not going to start that store in an area where, you know, you're going to be robbed two or three times a day or people are going to be afraid to travel to your business because your car, their cars are going to be stolen or they're going to be robbed. It, it's that simple. Businesses make investment evaluations. If you're looking to invest money in real estate, all right, now that's an investment. You can take real estate and you could, let's say you're, you're making this decision, you could take some money and instead of putting that money in the bank or instead of investing that money in the stock market, you decide, hey, I, I want to buy some rental property because I, I think it's, it's a good investment for me to make. All right, so where am I going to invest? Am I going to invest in an area where, gosh, crime is out of control, so people are going to be afraid to live in the particular area where I'm going to invest, or am I going to find an area where it's not so much high crime? Am I going to invest, am I going to buy a four-family in an area where uh, people are going to be afraid to live there, or they're going to have their cars stolen if they park in the outdoor lots or whatever? Well, again, you've got to get a handle on crime before anything else. And unfortunately, in Milwaukee, as well as in a lot of other urban areas, it's not unique to Milwaukee, crime is just absolutely out of control. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to it. And it's, I give them credit for transparency. The Milwaukee Police Department has a, has an up to the day crime statistic number showing all the different crimes and comparing them to two years ago and last year and this year, year to date. And, and you can just, again, see how 
crime is not slowing down at all. Now, for example, the number of homicides in the city of Milwaukee down slightly. Last year was an all-time record year. This time last year they had 90. This year we have 88. So it's down a little bit. But 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 that's 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 at a record high. It's an unacceptably high pace. And some of the the what I will call smaller crimes and keep in mind if you're the crime victim, there really is no smaller crime. I mean, if if you're the person who is robbed, well, um, all right, you, you know, they might refer to it. Well, it was just a robbery. Nobody was like beaten up or whatever. But if you're robbed and you're robbed at gunpoint, that's a very traumatic experience. So, for example, this time last year, they had um, 892 robberies. We have 1,055 thefts this time last year, 3,655 as of today, we have 5,090, I mean, up dramatically. And the number we keep talking about a lot is the whole idea of car thefts. This time last year, 1,817. This year, 5,293 cars that stolen. I, I, if you do the math, approximately 27 cars a day are stolen from the mean streets of Milwaukee. 27 cars a, a day. And, you know, we've got elected officials who are saying, well, we're, we we want Kia to make it more difficult to steal cars. Well, okay, why, why don't we worry about the people that are stealing those cars? And for people who think we've gotten a handle on it, I... Um, my my friend and teammate and colleague Scott Warris just sent me a note. All right, this happened yesterday afternoon during my show and the hour afterwards. All right, here here is the deal. These what I'm about to tell you. It started at two o six in the afternoon yesterday and wrapped up at four o eight. So what I'm about to describe to you happened in the space of two hours and two minutes yesterday afternoon. Four separate shootings. Milwaukee police, and this is from the police blotter. Milwaukee police are investigating a shooting that occurred on Thursday, July 15th at approximately 2.06 p.m. in the 4,000 block of North 15th Street. Victim, 33-year-old Milwaukee man, sustained non-life-threatening injuries, transported to the local hospital. The shooting is the result of an argument. All right. Second, Milwaukee police are investigating a shooting that occurred Thursday, July 15th, 2021, at approximately 3 p.m., so about an hour after the first one, on the 1200 block of West Thin Place. The victim, a 20-year-old man, sustained non-life-threatening injuries. He arrived at the local hospital for treatment, the circumstances leading up to the shooting under investigation. Three, Milwaukee police investigating a shooting that occurred on Thursday, July 15, 2021 at approximately 3.49 p.m. in the 8300 block of West Appleton Avenue. The victim, a 27-year-old Milwaukee man, sustained non-life-threatening injuries. The shooting appears to be the result of an argument. And in all these cases, they, they don't have any suspects. And then um, the fourth one. 4.08 p.m., so this is about 20 minutes after the last one. Milwaukee police are investigating a shooting that occurred Thursday, July 15, 2021, at approximately 4.08 p.m. on the 2100 block of West Fond du Lac Avenue. The victim, a 52-year-old Milwaukee man, sustained minor injuries. The shooting is the result of a road rage argument. So in the space of two hours and two minutes, you have four separate shootings all over town. Um, 4,000 block of North 15th Street, 1,200 block of West Finn Place, 8,300 block of West Appleton Avenue, 2,100 block of West Fond du Lac Avenue. So this is all over the city. 
four separate shootings. Now, thankfully, none of these resulted in a homicide. But as I frequently say, anytime somebody gets shot, it is but for the grace of God that it's they're not in the morgue, that they end up in the hospital or the emergency room. Because anytime you get shot, it's just... Uh, okay, in, instead of getting shot, you know, in the leg or shot in the shoulder, it could easily hit an artery and you're dead. But you've got in the space of two hours, you've got four separate shootings. And this isn't taking into account all the different thefts and things like that that are going on and the cars that are being stolen right and left and the robberies. It's just an indication that crime continues to be out of control and we don't really have a handle on it. And part of the reaction that in some cities we have had to this is to simply say, all right, what what we want to do is we want to make it easier for the criminals to operate. Going to tell you a story about something they're doing in a major urban area and then ask a question, should we consider doing this here? Would the community be better off? Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So one of the reasons that I believe Milwaukee and a lot of urban areas are in the mess that they are in when it comes to crime is we've gotten away from the, the what I what's called the broken windows concept of policing. The idea that that small stuff matters and the thinking is if you crack down on the small stuff, it stops it from becoming the larger stuff. On the other hand, if you turn a blind eye to theft All right, and the people think that they can steal stuff with impunity, like they obviously do around here. Then what happens is the next step is they stop just shoplifting. Then they start stealing cars. And if you can steal car after car after car and you don't have a problem with that, then what they do is they go up to, they escalate to to robbery. And it, it just all takes off from there. And I I firmly believe that. And that's why this idea of defund the police is just so foolish. The idea of concentrating on, well, the problem is people have guns. Well, okay, the wrong people have guns. That's the the issue with this. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, just want to stick their heads in the sand and say, well, all right, we just, we need to to forget about this criminal stuff and and just we're going to put our hands over our eyes and we're going to cover our ears and we're going to pretend it's not there. Well, here's what happens. In New York City, about a year ago, they decided to informally legalize prostitution. By that, I mean that it's not like New York legislature passed a law that says that prostitution is legal. But what the district attorney said is we are not going to prosecute prostitutes. So we're, we're just we because. You know, we, we think, that, what do they call it? They called it the loitering while transgender law or something like that. They said, look, we're, we're not going to arrest streetwalkers. We're, we're not going to do this. And we're just going to kind of just let this all happen because, well, maybe we've got bigger fish to fry or we don't want to be seen as, as coming down too hard on a certain, you know, types of, of behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So the New York Post has been looking at what happened since they made that decision. And, and here's the headline. New York City sex workers rampant in open air prostitution market amid lax 
enforcement. It's well after Saturday night on a, it's well after midnight on a Saturday morning, but traffic is as thick as rush hour along a four block industrial stretch in East New York, Brooklyn. Scantily clad women walk mid block, their heels click clacking on the asphalt as they move from car to car, leaning into the driver's side windows to entice the next man in line. One woman on the sidelines appearing disinterested sips from a can of Red Bull through a straw. It's a rare break in a cycle that repeats for hours on end, hopping into strangers' car, riding out of view for 10, sometimes 30 minutes, then getting dropped off to do it all again. The open-air sex market has operated in plain sight on Friday and Saturday nights for months. The women, many likely trafficking victims, stop drivers who line up for their services. The pimps pull the strings from the shadows. The authorities largely turn a blind eye to it all amid a shift away from cracking down on prostitution, a post-investigation is found. And then it, it, you know, it just goes on to talk about how you, you now have prostitution operating brazenly in these, these areas because law enforcement has decided we're not going to make this a priority. Who cares? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. How about this strategy? Now, I understand. See, I hear this a lot. Jeff, don't you understand? There's not that many cops that are out there. You know, we have to we have to have priorities. We have to have the police that are cracking down on, on the murders. No problem with that. Don't disagree. We have to have the police that are cracking down on the carjackings. Why do we spend law enforcement resources cracking down on minor things like, okay, cars that are being stolen or thefts or in this case, prostitution. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What about this strategy? Should we simply say, okay, look, like prostitution, victimless crime. That's not me saying it. That's some people making that argument. Victimless crime. If people want to make money this way, if people want to do that, should we care about things like this? Should we be cracking down on things like this? My answer is if you want to have a community that is livable, the answer is not just yes, but heck yes. But what do you think? 855-616-1620. Should we just say, all right, we're going to have areas of the city, for example. Don't worry. Prostitution, we can't legalize it because the legislature has to do that, but we're not going to enforce it. It's not going to be something we prosecute. Do we really care? Is it worth the effort of police resources? What do you think? We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, look, I understand police resources are scarce, and one of the things that law enforcement across the country, including in Milwaukee, have done is de-emphasize small stuff, which in my opinion has led to 27 cars being stolen on a daily basis from the mean streets of Milwaukee. And it's led to the number of thefts that are just absolutely skyrocketing. And I think that's one of the reasons that also explains why the number of more serious crimes is also increasing dramatically as well. That if you don't care and don't deal with the smaller stuff and you let that get out of control, pretty soon lots of the larger stuff get out of control. Now, one of the things they tried to do in New York City a number of months ago is they have essentially legalized prostitution. 
Better put, they have decriminalized it. The district attorney's office has said, well, we're not going to charge people. So, <laughs> so the New York Post has been going out and they've just been, they've been driving down various areas and, and they see these open air, essentially these open air sex markets where you have, you know, you have the, the Johns that are coming and picking up the, the women and you have the women, many of whom are victims of sex traffic themselves. You know, they're soliciting the, they're soliciting people for acts of prostitution. You've got the pimps that are in the background, but, and nobody is doing a thing for it. Now I do have a texter that says, well, Jeff, this fits in the same category as busting people for smart, for smart, for smoking pot and small amounts of pot and other types of drugs, probably wasting resources, law enforcement's courts, penal systems, etc. Okay, here's the problem with that. And I understand that that's the attitude, but what type of community do you want to live in? Do you want to, and this goes back to what I was talking about at the start of this half hour, what type of community do you want to live in? Do you want to buy a house or rent an apartment or raise a family in an area where, gee, from 11 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock in the morning, there's going to be prostitutes walking up and down the streets soliciting johns? I mean, is that is that what makes a neighborhood or a community workable? And and where what what what's going to happen? What are all the attendant problems that are going to come from that? And the people that are coming into your neighborhood to solicit the prostitutes? Is, is this the environment that you want to exist in? And I think the problem is a lot of times we we want to throw up our hands and say, oh, it's it's prostitution. It's a victimless crime. Well, tell that to some of the women who are working in prostitution or men who are working at that and, and see how they turn out a few years later, you know, after doing this for a couple of years, see if they're really, you know, truly if it's victimless. But it all affects the quality of a, a city and it's all livability. This is a disaster for New York City. You know, New York City, before Rudy Giuliani, and I understand Rudy Giuliani in the eyes of many people has gone nuts over the last several years, but when Rudy Giuliani was the mayor in New York in the 1990s, one of the things he committed to was was the broken windows idea that we're going to clean up the city. And what he did is he took these areas that were frank, frankly unsafe for tourism or that you wouldn't take a family to or you wouldn't want to live around or you wouldn't want to operate a storefront in, and he cleaned them up. And now that is reversing. You don't want to let that happen in other communities. Don't let what is happening in New York City happen in Milwaukee. Is anybody listening? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Over the years, I have prided myself on not giving in and, and buying into a lot of the, the kook conspiracy stuff that, that has been out there. And trust me, I've been doing this WTMJ for 23 years. And it'll actually be 23 years next Tuesday. 23 years next Tuesday. Uh, but I, I prided myself on, on not going down the, these rabbit holes. And I understand over the years I, I frustrated some of you who um, just whatever you might hear on Sean Hannity you believe is the gospel or whatever you might see on Rachel Maddow, oh, th- th- this is the gospel. And, and I've always, I, I've tried to kind of dial it, it back. For example, and I appreciate that this will irritate some of you, Donald Trump lost the election. 
All right. There, there's no evidence of, of widespread voter fraud in these massive conspiracies, which isn't to say that there there's not things that we can do to improve the election process that while at the same time making it um accessible for people to vote does preserve election integrity. But that's just one example. But you have all these kind of crazy sort of conspiracy theories that are out there on both the left and right. And I have been around long enough to have seen them that when the Democrats are in power, you get a lot of these conspiracy theories from the right. And when the Republicans are in power, you get a lot of these conspiracy theories on the left. Oh, don't you realize George Bush is plotting to do this or that or, or, or whatever? And I, my, my advice has always been, okay, look, try to, try to resist going down and going through the, the rabbit hole. Now, I happen to be one of these people who is pro-vaccination. If you're a regular listener, you, you know that. I got vaccinated as quickly as I possibly could. I had COVID last November, mild case. Always hate to say that because I appreciate, I, I don't want people to think I'm minimizing it. I was lucky, had COVID, very, very minimal effects. So I, I had the antibodies, but nevertheless, as soon as I got the chance to get vaccinated, I, I did it because after talking with my doctor, I, I was convinced that there was no reason for me not to. Now, I understand that there's some people out there who believe that that's putting poison in your system and I'm going to come to regret it five years from now. And I, I guess, OK, five years from now, we, we can have that conversation and, and we can discuss. But I believe it's possible to be to, to be in favor of mass vaccination, but still um, oppose government mandates. I mean, I don't think those are inconsistent sort of positions, and, and that's where I am, because I think at the end of the day, it, it's an, it should be an individual choice that people make. I made the choice to get vaccinated. I am comfortable with that choice. But if you as an individual, if, if you come to a different conclusion, I respect that. I have to live with the consequences of my decision to get vaccinated, which is, all right, and I know some of you think that, you know, I have I, I put poison in my system and I will, I will die a premature death. Okay, I live with the consequence of my decision. You, if you choose not to get vaccinated, you live with the consequence of your decision as well, which means that you are more likely statistically, if you're exposed to one of the various forms of COVID that's out there, you're more likely to get sick. And, you know, in most cases, people get sick and they recover and they're fine. But in some cases, you can have some very, very bad results. But nevertheless, you live with the consequences. It is a decision that you make. And I think people should be able to make that decisions. And I think people should be able to decide these things for themselves. All right. So that's kind of my background on this. Yesterday, I I was alluding to what, what I thought was sort of scary when the Surgeon General of the United States was giving a speech before I think it was the National Academy of Health and he, he was coming out and he said they had just he had just issued his first formal advisory as the Surgeon General um, and it was directed against tech and social media companies which accused he accused them it's the Surgeon General of not doing enough to stop the spread of dangerous health misinformation he says that this misinformation is an urgent threat to public health and the, the idea being saying to Facebook saying to Twitter that you you need to do more if there's people out there that don't believe or don't tow the government line as to what science is you you need to stop this and we had a discussion yesterday and my point is this is a little bit this is a little bit scary because th- th- this idea that now you've got the government telling us 
you know, what it is that you can and can't believe. And the idea that, that science, well, science says this. Well, who is science? And as we talked about yesterday, you, you have some doctors looking at, at different sort of data that come to different conclusions. Well, it, it got a little bit scarier yesterday afternoon. And like I said, I don't go down these, these conspiracy rabbit holes very often. But, but, but here's the deal. Yesterday afternoon, there's a, there's a press conference. And the, the White House press secretary, her name is Jen Psaki, she says that the Biden administration is identifying problematic posts for Facebook to censor because they contain misinformation about COVID-19. Let me just say that again. The, the White House is now saying that the Biden administration is identifying what they consider to be problematic posts for Facebook to censor because they contain misinformation about COVID-19. Uh, Pasaki disclosed the government's role in policing social media during her daily press conference after the Surgeon General called on companies to purge more pandemic posts. The demand for censorship and her admission of government involvement, and then the story says it follows a series of flip-flops about science as science emerges. We are in regular touch with social media platforms, and those engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff and also members of our COVID-19. Um, so they are, you've got the government of the United States, which is now reaching out to social media companies and saying, we need you to censor this, this comment about COVID or that comment about COVID because it's promoting misinformation. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I, I don't go down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole very often, but I will tell you, I find this to be scary that the government of the United States has now decided what what you can hear and what you can't hear. And if somebody posts something that the government of the United States believe does not comport with, quote unquote, the science that, that they're going to urge Facebook to censor that or other social media things. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Isn't the better way, first of all, to combat misinformation by, by, by addressing that directly? No, those numbers aren't true. No, that study doesn't say this, whatever. But, but given the fact that science you know, has different opinions on different things and that there's no one unilateral. There's not some giant entity that says we are science and this is the way it has to be. Do you find it scary that you've got the government, which is now identifying individual things which they say don't conform with science and so it has to be censored. 855-616-1620. And where does it stop? I mean, and I, I, I hate this slippery slope argument, but if it's COVID today, well, you know, somebody is saying this about COVID, it needs to be censored. What, where, where does it stop? What, what is it tomorrow? Oh, this person was critical of the government policy. This person came out and said that, you know, we shouldn't be increasing the child tax care credit or this person said that we shouldn't be supporting you know whatever the current government policy is how dare you have a contrary opinion this is scary isn't it 855-616-1620 we discuss back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner 
Here's a text. Jeff, science is always in a state of flux as new information is uncovered. So for the Surgeon General to speak in absolutes is very Orwellian. That's a good term for it. You know, Animal House, George Orwell. And, and, and I bring this up again because the dazzling detail is now that the, you, the Biden administration is acknowledging that they have people in the government that are now reaching out to these social media sites and telling them what should be taken off. This is not what the government, this is not what our science says. This is not what we think you should hear, so it has to be or it should be taken off. <laughs> what a slippery slope that is. And, and given the fact that science does change, where, where do you have, let's, let's take an example. At the beginning of the pandemic, the science said that you don't have to wear masks. So what if early on you had a number of people that were going on in the Internet and saying, look, we, we think this is wrong. We think this is airborne. We think you should wear masks. All right. Does the government is it would it have been a good thing for the government to say, no, we're going to censor you. Don't you realize science is saying one thing. Your opinion is contrary to science. So we, we we're going to take that down. We're not going to let you express that particular position. Is there no view for contrary thought? And is I guess the bigger picture is, is it's the government's role to dictate this is what we think the people are entitled to hear. And if you have a different point of view, boom, we're going to pull the plug on it. Let me give you an example of this. What if you, you know, look, I think the vaccines are safe. I'm not an anti-vaccine guy. But what if you have somebody who says, hey, I got vaccinated and I got really sick from this. All right. Is the government now going to say to Facebook, you're not allowed to say that because science says the vaccines are safe and the only people who have adverse reactions, it's uh, just an incredible small minority. And by the way, overall, the benefits of the vaccine far outweigh any sort of risks. And, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But are you going to say to someone you're not allowed to tell people through um, social media sites that you had an adverse reaction because the science says that that doesn't happen? It's, is this the government's role? Let's talk to Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. This should scare the living you-know-what out of everybody. It's stuff like this that creeps into our lives. Before you know it, uh, it, it takes over. And, and, and this is the kind of stuff that went on in the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc during the communist days. I, I'm astounded by this, and I'm also wondering, where is the ACLU? Why aren't they standing up against this? Well, because, but don't you understand? Because if you, if you want to, if you want to question what the prevailing wisdom, what science, whoever science is, says today, or you look at doc, if you look at data that, I don't know, the World Health Organization looks at, and you come to a different conclusion, regardless of what your training is, you don't know what you're talking about, and you're dangerous, and you're not going to be allowed to say that. It, it, it and again, I don't like to go down these conspiracy routes, but when I see the government is actively involved in censoring or encouraging Facebook to censor stuff, I'm with you, Jim. That to me is it's a scary sort of thing. Do you think this started because they went after Trump? Not that I'm a big Trump loyalist, but do you think that that was the uh, t- the toll being in the door? Oh, oh yeah, no, I right, ex- no, thanks. I I think you're right. I mean, I I think plus they feel emboldened. I mean, th- th- this is the idea. You, you, you've got you've got people who believe in absolutes, and you've got people who have been conditioned. Thanks for the call, Jim. I, in my opinion, to to not question. You you can't even question authority. You can't. Okay, if this if this is what. 
Anthony Fauci says, or if this is what the CDC says, it doesn't matter if they said something different three weeks ago. If this is what they said, or this has been different in your experience, you, you, you can't, we cannot question it. We can't even, we can't even raise issues about it. And again, I see, I believe that the way you combat misinformation is by presenting correct information. So if you've got somebody out there that is suggesting that, oh, the, these vaccines were some government plot to, I, I don't know, poison a huge segment of society. I mean, the, 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 the way you combat that is not by saying to somebody, you, you can't say that, but rather it's by presenting the, the facts that, that are out there as opposed to set, trying to censor these different I, ideas. And this notion that, that science is this monolithic thing and nobody looking at the same set of facts can reach a different conclusion, that... You do wonder where that that stops. And I guess, like I said earlier, I I hesitate to go down the slippery slope category. But but if if government is now emboldened in the name of, hey, we've got to deal with this pandemic and we want to encourage people to get vaccinated. And by the way, I want to encourage people to get vaccinated as well. But at the same time, I don't want the government trying to decide, gee, we've got this army of people that are scouring Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and they're trying to identify individual posts. And, well, this is anti-science. How dare you say that you had an adverse reaction to a vaccine, if that would be it? How dare you, you question this? Don't you know that you need to fall in line and follow whatever it is that Big Brother's telling you? We've never done that in this country before. You know, you, you've had the government officials that have made the case for, you know, why you should do things. And I think there are very compelling things that you can say, and there's very compelling arguments that you can make about why people need to get vaccinated. But but censoring contrary posts and having the government encouraging Facebook or Twitter to do that, that's that's what I think becomes really, really scary. Don't you combat false information by telling true information. We have a texture that makes a really interesting point. Jeff, science may be science and facts are facts, but that doesn't mean there's only way, one way to look at them. We grow as a nation, as a population with perspective and second opinions. If someone is given a medical diagnosis, they often look for a second opinion. It might not change the diagnosis, but rather the way they deal with it. I was giving this example yesterday. I, I have a, a very dear friend who is... Um, she, she's battling a very aggressive, severe form of, of cancer. And when she was first diagnosed, she went to a particular doctor, diagnosed this, and then they recommended a course of treatment. Right? She went to get a second opinion. She went somewhere else, saw another series of doctors, and they recommended a different series of, of treatments. You know, we, they agreed on, on the diagnosis, for example, but but they offered alternative approaches. Well, I mean, okay, so w- where is the science there? Does it mean the first doctor was wrong? No, it, it didn't. Does it mean the second doctor was wrong? Well, no, I sure hope not because that's the treatment that she's following. But it, it's was he misinformed when he said, gee, the first doctor, when he said, I think we should do this? Well, I, it was just a different interpretation. Now, I understand that there's a lot of kooky stuff out there. I, I get it. And somebody was saying, well, sent me a text saying, well, are you saying that it's okay that uh, for people to say that, you know, there's computer chips planted in the, the vaccines? Well, I, I don't know that anybody's saying that, but there's always going to be kook theories that are out there in the recesses of the Internet. The way you combat those kook theories is by presenting 
what the facts are, not censoring the idea that there's going to be people that are out there, they're going to be expounding these kook theories, and especially not having the government decide what it is that you can say and not say, and what it is that you can hear and not hear. I guess it's kind of disturbing to me that some people don't have a problem with that. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right. In the first hour of the program, we, we talked we talked about government censorship. We talked about you know out-of-control crime and whether or not prostitution should be legalized or decriminalized like they're doing in New York City and whether or not that's ultimately good for a community. Let's lighten it up a little bit, start of this hour. I want to talk tuna. All right? Tuna. I am, maybe it's just kind of how I grew up, but I'm I'm a fan of, of tuna. I mean, and I can, I, you know, if, if you are of a certain age, chances are you, you grew up on, you grew up on like canned tuna. And I, and I can remember my, my mom, you know, buying the cans of tuna. There was like Starkist and some of the other stuff. They used to, Starkist used to have the Charlie tuna or whatever. But I, I can remember that the cans of tuna and my mom would make it into like a tuna salad or something like that because, uh, canned tuna fish had a number of, of advantages. First of all, it, w- it was cheap. Secondly, it was easy. Third, it had a long shelf life. You could buy the cans of tuna, and they, they were good for a, a long time. And so when you need something for a quick lunch for the, the kids or whatever, you just pull out the can of tuna, you open it up, mix it with a little mayonnaise, you put it on toast, and, and boom, you're, you're all set. So I grew up eating tuna, and I've always had a, a fondness. Now, there's some stuff that I grew up eating that I've I've lost my taste for, but but canned tuna is is not one of them. And as a matter of fact, one of my... One of my favorite things, if you go out to get like a submarine sandwich and all, um, I, I happen to be a cousin's guy, you know, but there's all sorts of good ones. We're going to talk about Subway in just a second. But I, I love, I love the tuna sandwiches that you get at, at, at um, at cousins. It's it just, it's one of my favorite. There, there's a couple that I like. There's a couple I like their special and things like that. But if I'm going to get a cold sandwich, sometimes it's going to be the cousin special. Other times it's going to be the, the tuna. I don't know why. I, I just like it. It, it, it is tasty. I am not a Subway sub guy as a general rule. Nothing personal. It's just I prefer others. But Subway finds itself in in a kind of nasty class action lawsuit that's now getting a lot of attention because of the allegations. Now, remember, Subway was the place that got sued a while back because they, they advertised the foot-long the foot long sandwiches and what people did is they they bought them and they measured them and in some cases they didn't turn out to be 12 inches they turned out to be like 11 and a half inches and there was this lawsuit and and what subway said is well no the 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 bread when we start off it's it's 12 inches and then when you like heat it up or something like that the heating process can cause it to shrink a little bit but you, nobody's getting ripped off and, and ultimately they, they ended up winning on that there's now a class action lawsuit that's been filed up in subway about tuna and the allegations are that the tuna that they use is not tuna that it's that it's something else that it's a a mystery meat and what what happens is the, these folks had filed this lawsuit last um, January, saying that they're they're 
the tuna sandwiches are completely bereft of tuna as an ingredient. And their evidence of that is that they bought a couple tuna sandwiches. They sent them to some private lab for testing. Follow me on this. And then when, when they came back, the, the results were there's no detectable amount of tuna in in these different sandwiches. Well, that prompted the New York Times to jump on this. So the New York Times does the same thing. They buy some sandwiches, they send them to a private lab, and they get the results back, and the results say of their tests say, well, we, we can't we can't find tuna in these different tests. So th- there's been this allegation out there that, okay, Subway is ripping off people because whatever they are billing as tuna is, in fact, something else, some sort of mystery meat. Well, Subway is starting to fight back about this. Matter of fact, um, you know, Subway now has launched a website, SubwayTunaFacts.com. You know, we were talking in the last segment about, you know, how do you fight misinformation? Well, maybe you fight information not by saying you don't have a right to say this, but by saying, okay, here's what the truth is. So what, what Subway is doing is they say, look, what happened is that the New York Times commissioned a test that couldn't detect tuna DNA in their sample. And they said, but that's that's what happens because when you cook tuna, what happens is that the DNA, it makes it impossible to uh, identify the tuna. So when, when you've got tuna, you cook it, that then this makes the DNA that indicates that it's tuna kind of disappear. He says that that's what what happens, and that's why that you know if you try to test processed tuna, you you're not going to get a result. It's not you'd have to if you want to determine whether this is valid or not, you'd have to get before get it before it's processed. Um, what they say is they say we say follow the science, and if you follow the science, once tuna is cooked. The DNA becomes denatured, which means when you go to test it, you can't tell one way or the other. So Subway is fighting back saying, look, this is this is bull. We use tuna. We mix it with mayonnaise and stuff like that. That's how we start. But once 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 the tuna, the raw tuna is processed to be served, you, you can't tell. You can run all the tests you want on it, and it's not necessarily going to show tuna. All right. I find this to be intriguing because I guess... I really don't care one way or or the other. By that I mean, I like what the food is. All right. Now, if now this is against Subway, but like I said, I, I like the cousin sandwiches. If I go to get a cousin's cousin's sub and I add order the tuna sub, and it comes back and it tastes like tuna, all right. If whether it's tuna or whether it's some other sort of mystery meat that that tastes like tuna. I, I don't have I don't have a, a problem with that. Now Subway says that this whole thing is bull. That it really is it is tuna, and people are asking the wrong questions. But regardless, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, should this be the basis of of a lawsuit? I mean, by that I mean as long as the stuff tastes like tuna. You know, you go into whether it's a Subway or you go into a Cousins, you you you're buying the tuna sub. All right, are you counting on the fact that it's going to be a hundred percent tuna, that it's going to be ten percent tuna, or are you buying it on basis of the fact that hey, I I like it, it tastes like tuna, 
Give it to me. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I toss this thing out of court. I, I would. Just like I would have tossed the, 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 is the bread 12 inches or is the bread 11 and a half inches? I think people know what they're getting. And I think things like this are sort of the indications. And some of the indications are maybe that we have too many lawyers and too many complainers in the world. 855-616-1620. All right. Subway says, hey, it's tuna, that these arguments are, are wrong, you can't tell from these tests, but regardless, I mean, do you feel you're getting ripped off when you go to Subway and now we can't prove one way or the other whether after it's been processed it's tuna or not? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 855-616-1620. Jeff, I recently had a Subway tuna sub. I was satisfied with the tuna. It looked and it tasted like tuna. Jeff, I love Subway, and the tuna sub is my favorite. I'm going to continue to order it and enjoy it. Thanks for the show. Well, enjoy your meal, Jill. 855-616-1620. I guess, and again, Subway feels that it's being maligned by this, by some people out for, for a fast buck, because like I say, Subway says, look, you, you can buy our sandwich, you can test the meat, but after after the tuna has been processed, after it's been cooked, you, you can't tell whether it's actual tuna or not. But but it is tuna. But does this really make any difference anyways? And what about the people that are suing? Is this a valid claim? Let's start with Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Happy Bill. Friday. Same to you, sir. Uh this brings me back to 10 or so years ago. I guess first I should mention to you that I'm a farmer. Okay. But, yeah, bring out about the point about this restaurant that got caught serving supposedly lamb and it was pork. Okay. Um, and the Jewish customers were not very happy about it. Well, yeah, and I mean, and I guess I, I can see in certain areas if, for example, if you're if you're allergic to something, you know, and, and you think you're buying that's one true. thing and you're giving something else, I, I think that's a legitimate case. I'll give you another one, Bill. When you were mentioning lawsuit, I remember a few years back, I'm, when, I, I love fish fries and I'm a big perch fan. I, I just, I love perch and perch are hard to get and they're, they tend sure. to be expensive. And I remember a few years back, one of the TV stations around here, and I, I honestly forget which one, they did this expose because apparently there was a restaurant around here that was buying imitation perch it's called xander and it's a really cheap fish and it's from the perch family but it's not perch and they were buying xander and they were billing it at perch and selling it to people you know at at perch prices when it was really this cheap sort of thing and people were outraged there and and i get that to me that that's fraud i'm not sure that that this necessarily is yeah yeah We'll see. We'll see. Well, I guess it's going to. No, thanks for calling. I mean, it's going to be. I think it's almost like impossible to prove. And see, and I, I guess I come down partly on Subway side in this one as well because they're being very aggressive about this. There, if this was a deal where the, the Subway tuna really wasn't tuna, my guess is that they'd be saying, "Okay, we're we're sorry." Instead, they're, they're saying, "Look, this is what the science is. Our, our stuff." Our stuff is tuna. You just can't tell if you by doing these tests after it's it's processed and, and turned in, and that's that's what we end up doing. If it turns out that they're now lying about all this, well, that's going to be a much bigger deal. And after the the whole thing with uh, who, what was the subway character that uh, was it? What was the guy's name? Was it Jeremy who who ended up 
you know, now is in jail for all sorts of things. Last thing Subway needs is is bad publicity about this. Marianne in Whitefish Bay. Hi, Marianne. You're on WTMJ. Oh, hi, thanks. Um, I usually agree with you on almost all your points, but not on but, this. Okay, tell me. Okay, first of all, um, I you already talked about it since I called, but, you know, how do I know what it is? It might be something that's harmful or that I'm allergic to, but more than allergic to that's really not good for you. Mm-hmm. I think it would be the height of deception. But I have another question. It's like... Well, if this is really true, why don't we test, because I'm with you, and my favorite is Cousins. Right. Why don't we test their tuna? Why don't we test somebody else's tuna? Why don't we test to a scientist right. and see, is that really true, or is somebody just saying this? Well, well Marianne, thanks. But, I mean, part of the, see, part of the problem is... That and, and this is the problem with this lawsuit, if you believe Subway. Now, look, I'm not a scientist, but si- Subway says once th- th- by the time you buy the sandwich, you know, we've taken that we, we've taken where whatever our raw tuna is, whatever that stuff is that we get out of that can of, of Starkist or wherever they get. I'm sure it's not that. And by the time we have processed, you know, that that raw tuna or whatever it. You, you can't tell anymore whether it's tuna or not because the processing, the, 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 the cooking it, whatever, that takes the DNA out of it. So it, it, at least if Subway is correct, it doesn't matter, you know, what sort of test you could, and I, I mean, I'm assuming cousins, I'm assuming Jersey Mike's, I'm assuming, you know, Jimmy John's, whatever. I'm assuming that they're, process is exactly the same. So I guess you, you're never going to know for sure. So I guess the issue now becomes, right, is is this the basis for a federal lawsuit? Now, as far as I can tell, I, I don't think that they, they have any examples of anybody getting sick. Somebody saying, hey, I I got I bought the tuna sub and I'm allergic to I, I don't know, I'm allergic to grouper. And I, I bought this tuna sub, and now I got sick because I, I think there must have been grouper in it. I, I, as far as I know, there's nobody out there that alleges that they got sick as a result of this. This is just a couple of people in California, I think, trying to cash in, saying, okay, let's try to come up with something that we can get some publicity, and maybe maybe um, in an effort to make us go away, Subway's going to try to pay us a whole bunch of, of money and, um, and then make this thing go away because they don't want the bad publicity. If there were examples, to your point on food allergies, and I'm sensitive to that, if there were examples of people who claimed they were getting sick because what they were eating wasn't tuna, well, then I'd kind of be sympathetic to it. But that's not what this is. This is this argument that whatever is in there, we, we can't, the DNA tests are, are inconclusive on it. But I don't know that you see that there's any harm. My guess is that Subway is on in the right on this and that the people in California well, they're, they're just trying to get a quick buck, and unfortunately, they've got a lawyer who's in bed with them on it. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jared, that was his name. You want to talk about falls from grace and the spectacular ways 
that that some people can go from like one place in their life to another in a relatively quick period of time, and it would be Jared. We were talking about Subway. Jared Fogel was his name. You you might remember he was born, well, 1977. So he, he came to, to fame. He was a student at Indiana University when he was like 21 to 23 years old. He lost 245 pounds. 245 pounds and and his story was that as part of his diet uh plan he 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 ate subway subs remember this this was jared they exercised and things like that but subway hired him to be their spokesperson back in 2000 and from 2000 to 2015 15 years he was the spokesperson for subway subs he he made a fortune he was featured in over 300 commercials by Subway. And, and this guy, I mean, he started the, the Jared Foundation. I mean, he was, you, you know, I mean, he, he was just this beloved sort of figure. And then it all came crashing down because, you know, what happened is, well, right around 2015, the there was an FBI investigation and it led to him pleading guilty to child sex tourism and child pornography charges. Um, and apparently what had happened is he had been uh, convicted of traveling to pay for sex with minors, possessing child pornography, etc. And so, boom, all of a sudden, all this stuff ends. He ended up getting sentenced to 15 years, eight months in a federal prison. Um, he's still there. He's currently incarcerated at the Federal Correctional Institution in Englewood. So it's one of those examples of where for, for in this case, 15 years, you know, you want to talk about somebody who's famous for being famous. The guy, all he did is for a couple of years, he, he lost a bunch of weight. Give him credit for that. And he became the spokesperson and the face of Subway Subs, made just a ton of money, had the world by the tail, all those sorts of things. And then it ends in about as ugly a fashion as you want. Look, my guess is, and I, I'm not... Like I say, I, I don't really patronize Subway that much. But my guess is if Subway says the tuna in the sandwich is a really tuna, I, I don't think they want another Jared sort of case. My, my guess is my guess is it really probably is tuna. But let the buyer beware. One thirty, Mike Spalding, you remember Jared, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That ended uh, badly. Could, yeah, not really many worse ways for a spokesman sponsorship there to end. On, on, on so many different levels. And you just, I mean, three on, over 300 commercials that he made for Subway over the year. I mean, made just an absolute fortune. And um, the earliest possible release date right now for him is July of 2029. <laughs> you work in radio, so I'm going to assume you're a little cynical, right? A little bit, just a teeny bit. Okay. Is that correct? Oh, a, no, I'm, well, I'm more, I'm more than just a teeny, but, but it hasn't just been because I worked in radio. I was a prosecutor for years. Yeah, yeah that's I'm true. cynical. Yeah. When okay. people are too squeaky clean, when the image is like a jer- does it make you nervous at all at well, the beginning? Well, I think not at the beginning, but well, no, see, I, I, I try, I want to believe, but, but you I mean, you look at things like, like Bill Cosby. I mean, think, yeah, yeah. think of Bill Cosby's image, and you're a little bit young. You're a lot younger than I am. But, I mean, Bill Cosby, especially during the 80s with the Cosby show and stuff, I mean, Bill Cosby was an American icon, and he was a role model for all these different families. And, you know, and as, and it, it actually kind of a an icon and a model for, you know, the black community, at least some members mm-hmm. of the black community. And, and then it turns out that, 
whether you think he should have been, a, you know, released from prison or not, you know, he was engaging in behavior that I think all of us would agree was probably kind of reprehensible. So you always do sort of wonder. I mean, Tiger Woods, you know, for, for years and years, Tiger Woods was billed as the all-American guy. And um, and then it, it turns out that, you know, he, he's got women all over and he's not the family man that he was billed at. So I think there's always a healthy degree of cynicism. But I don't know. But Jared, my goodness, you know, Jared, uh, Jared was always kind of creepy to me, to tell you that. That's what I'm saying. Too smiley, too smiley. Always, always (laughs) kind of a little bit creepy and and sort of famous for for being famous. Oh, well, he gets out in uh, July of 2029. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Oh, by the way, I, I understand that we're, you, you have people who are finally standing up and rebelling and calling for, for freedom in Cuba. I understand that, that Haiti's a mess. I know that Biden's trying to push through this huge infrastructure bill that redefines what infrastructure is. I, I get all that. I understand that you've got in some communities, COVID is making a resurgence, although nowhere near what it was a number of months ago, but it's causing some communities to consider reimposing their mask requirements and things like so i understand there's a lot of stuff going on in the world at the same time we we do we talk about that a lot during the course of the week and uh, on fridays particularly fridays in mid-july i think you know there's also some other more fun stuff to talk about like like you are do do you care whether the stuff that you're eating in those subway sandwiches is, is really tuna or or something else but here here is something that Sometimes we talk about issues that I, I like to believe that we can all come to a consensus on and that rational people can sit down and it doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal or Republican or a Democrat, that we, we can all come to agreements on. And then there's some stuff which I know that it's never going to be the case because people feel incredibly strongly about it. And Yelp, you know, the, the consumer rating thing, Yelp has jumped into this in a big way. And I want to tell you about it, and I want to give you a chance to react to it. All right. Here in Wisconsin, and particularly in southeastern Wisconsin, we are extremely, extremely proud and dedicated to our sports teams. Definitely. Definitely. Our families. Definitely. Our our favorite fish fries and our favorite bars. Absolutely. But what are we also dedicated to? Our favorite frozen custard. So Yelp has just come out with a list of the top frozen dessert locations, you know, like Dairy Queen, 31 Flavors, whatever, in each state. In Wisconsin, now they, they, they did... They base this on a number of things, um, number of factors, including the total volume, like how much was sold, ratings of reviews between July 1st, 2020 and June 1st, 2021. So they're looking at the, at the Yelp reviews and stuff, and they have, they have come out with the top frozen custard, or it's actually the top frozen dessert location, you know, in, in Wisconsin and in the other 49 states as well. So here's the deal. Drum roll, please. Yelp, again, has decided that according to their reviews, 
the top spot for frozen treats in the state of Wisconsin is Milwaukee's very own Leon's Frozen Custard. Leon's, established in 1942, been a famous Milwaukee drive-in ever since. Uh, Leon's, located on South 27th Street, 3031 South 27th Street in Milwaukee. Uh, my, my late wife, she grew up going to Leon's, and so that meant we would go to Leon's from time to time. But, you know, there's there's all sorts of other things as well. In 2021, Leon's Frozen Custard added a new flavor to their menu, Blue Moon, their first new flavor in more than 30 years. All right, let's have some fun on a Friday afternoon. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yelp says, by its criteria, including, again, volume of business and its reviews, hands down, Leon's Frozen Custard on the south side is the best spot for frozen treats in the state of Wisconsin. What do you think and why? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Leon's your go-to place or is it somewhere else? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does Yelp know what it's talking about? We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let the games begin. If you're just tuning in, Yelp come out with a list of what they say is the top place for frozen treats in every state. So it's not necessarily limited to frozen custard. And they say, drum roll please, Leon's on South 27th Street, that that's the top choice for for a frozen treat. And when I was talking about frozen treat, I, I think they're including like like Dairy Queens and they're including 31 flavors. The story I always tell when we discuss this is um, I have a very dear friend, very close friend of mine who, who knew Baskin and Robbins. I just, I know I've told the story before, so I apologize if you heard it, but it's such a cool story to me. Baskin and Robbins, the 31 flavors, there, there were Baskin and Robbins. It was a guy named Bert Baskin and Ira Robbins. And they were brothers-in-law that, that each ran separate ice cream parlors in, in California outside of Los Angeles. And what they decided to do is they merged their respective ice cream parlors and became really popular. And then they decided to to expand all across the country. And the first place they decided to expand was Wisconsin because they did a market research study and surprise follows surprise. They found that in, in Wisconsin, Wisconsin had the highest per capita consumption of ice cream than anywhere else in the United States. So they, they came you know, looking to 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 expand out here, and and my friend w- was involved in commercial real estate. That's what he did. He went around and and found places, and he tells me these stories about how he and, and Irv Robbins were were driving around looking for locations. And the first the first Baskin and Robbins outside of California was on um, Oakland Avenue, and the second or third one is still in existence out in Fox Point. It's just it's kind of like fascinating stories about how this kind of stuff happens. But thirty one flavors would be included in there as well. Now what are, you know, what are some of the other possible runners up? Well, I mean, you've got Cops Frozen Custard, you know, a couple different locations in the Milwaukee area, one not too far from where we are. Um, a lot of people would would say Culvers. I like Culvers. I don't know that I think Culvers is up there with Leon's or with Cops. Um, you know, Gillis 
um, frozen custard on, on Blue Mound Road. That's the place that Bud Selig used to always go. Leon's, of course. And then, you know, if you get out to, you know, some of the surrounding areas, I know a lot of people might argue for, you know, Oscar's frozen custard. There, there's that as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has Yelp, has Yelp nailed it on this? Let's look at what a couple people are saying. Jeff, Leon's hands down. Not only is it the best custard I've ever had, no other place can compete with its history and nostalgic um, atmosphere. Um, Leon's hot fudge with pecans and three maraschino cherries is the dessert of my last supper list menu. No question about that. Here's somebody, Jeff. My favorite is Bubba's in Pewaukee. I think it's as good as Pops. I have been to Bubba's on multiple occasions. Jeff, it's cops hands down. On a Saturday in the summer, um, you can't find a spot to park and get a luscious scoop or five. Um, Jeff, I have to go with cops because I've never been able to try Leon's. I obviously lead a sheltered life. Well, yeah, I mean, see, that that is the great thing because you've got all these different choices that are out there. And that's, you know, sometimes I always encourage people to kind of check beyond you know, their comfort zone, uh, 855-616-1620. Jeff, while I can't argue with Leon's, my personal favorite is Leduc in, Leduc's in Wales. Um, when announce, uh, when announcing it, I thought for a second you were going to say something like a Dairy Queen. Well, sometimes you do get that. I, I know it's kind of like when, when they do some of these surveys and it comes back and they say, okay, what's the, what's the best Italian restaurant in the state? And the reviews come back and it turns out to be Olive Garden. Now, this is not a knock on Olive Garden, but you know, Olive Garden, they're, they're great. I know a lot of people love them, but Olive Gardens aren't going to be the best Italian restaurant in, in the state. Or when people say, what's the best place to go for seafood in the state? And people will say Red Lobster. And you kind of go, oh, okay, well, you know, R- Red Lobster is fine for, and I'm not knocking Red Lobster, and it's great for what it is, but you wouldn't necessarily say that Red Lobster is the best place around. Jeff, Yelp is absolutely correct. Leon's is the best. All frozen custard is delicious, but Leon's is a step above. I have waited in line in the middle of February for a turtle Sunday. I wish I had one right now. Eh, you've got that there. Jeff, for me, it's Gillis frozen custard. Um, I think it's the best. Yelp is absolutely wrong. Um, and there's a number of other people that are coming in to, to vote. Jeff, Waukesha County, Oscars has the best cu- uh, custard. There's absolutely nothing. Jeff, you know, we grew up going to Leon's and have tried all the rest. Cops, Culver's, etc. No question. Leon's is much better. Well, look, I don't know that we're going to reach a consensus. I've got just a ton of texts by people, you know, um, you know, wading in on these different things. I think part of it is is like what what you grew up on. Like I say, my, my late wife who grew up on the South side, we, you know, it was whenever we were visiting her parents or stuff, we, we would stop by and we, we'd, we'd make sure we, we hit Leon's and right down the street from Leon's just to the South was a, was a Ned's pizza. And if you, if you are of a certain age, you will remember when Ned's pizzas were ubiquitous around here. So sometimes we, we'd go over to Ned's pizza, we'd have a pizza, we'd pick up a couple car, par bakes, and then we'd swing by Leon's. Wasn't good for the calories or anything like that. But it was a nice kind of treat. If you grew up like I did in Glendale, 
Well, all right. You're, you're going to be, I think, probably a fan of, of Cops Custard. Cops at the old, you know, Milky Way Drive. It was, used to be the Milky Way. Now it's, it's Cops. But regardless, hey, it's a Friday in the summer, long weekend, whether it's Leon's or Gillis or Culver's or Oscar's or, or someplace else or Cops. Go on out, treat yourself, um, enjoy yourself some frozen ice cream, and then you can tell Yelp what what they can do with their particular survey. And this is Jeff Wagner. See, I've been doing this long enough that I, that I understand that, that this is, in fact, a way to pick a fight when you talk about <laughs> frozen custard. And I'm just, we are swamped with texts about this. Beyond some of the big three or big four, um, some of the other ones... Bubba's in Pewaukee being mentioned. A lot of people voting for Leduc's in Wales. Murph's on Burley. Yeah, I've been there once. Actually, the texter says, um, we went there um, yesterday after my grandma's funeral. The family needed a good place, and we think Murph's is absolutely the best. number of people are talking about uh, Kilty in Oconomowoc. Um, yeah, um, that that as well. So a lot, lot of great choices that are out there, and that that is there is no shortage. And, of course, we're not talking about about the Dairy Queens, and we're not talking about all the different 31 flavors that are out there as well. A lot of great choices to go and enjoy uh, enjoy summer, and that's cool. All right, I know there's a there's a story, and and I understand maybe if I had been involved here, and maybe if I'd been one of the people sitting on this particular train, you'd, you'd want to complain. But at some point in time, I think we all need to recognize that sometimes, what's the saying? Stuff happens. And and when that stuff happens, sometimes you've just got to kind of roll with it. So I, I saw this story on, on Channel 12, and it was kind of intrigued me. So yesterday, what happened is there there was an Amtrak train that was coming from Milwaukee going to Chicago. And what happened is there's this car that decides that it's going to it's going to try to cross the train tracks when when the barriers are down. All right, now I was going to say let me give you some free legal advice from a recovering attorney, but th- this is this is not this is not legal advice. Let me give you some free life advice that when you pull up to that train intersection and the bells are going off and the whistles are sounding and the lights are on and the barrier is down, trying to go around the barrier to beat the train is almost all no, forget almost always. It's it's never Never, ever a good idea. I don't care where you are going. All right. You, you don't have to get there that fast. It, it, it doesn't, it does not matter. I don't know that there's any excuse that would justify trying to like flip around the train tracks. Well, anyhow, somebody does it. So they, they try to, they go around the gate or whatever and they, they get hit by this Amtrak train. It, it's hit, it hits them. Now, the, the, the amazing part of the story to me is that the person in the car is not dead. Um, but, but nevertheless, they have to actually bring in the heavy equipment and, and cut them physically out of the car. They are flown to a hospital. So they're not in good shape, but they got hit by a train. So, I mean, it, it's a miracle that they are still alive. The train, however, was badly damaged as well. The locomotive that smashed into the train was was, was so badly damaged that it, it was no longer functioning. And so what they had to do, apparently this is a long-distance train, so they had to detach 
the one locomotive, there's actually, I guess, two locomotives on the train. And I assume one's like in front and one's in the back. So you have the front one that was badly damaged. They had to detach it. And then they somehow had to figure out how you, you bring the new one up. In any event, it took three and a half hours. Now, I fully understand. If I'm on that train, I, I'm, I'm really upset about this. And apparently they, what they had to do to conserve power, they had to cut off the air conditioning. So I, I get that, I get that it was hot and stuffy on on the train i i understand that and they said that they wouldn't let people get off the train because again i think they were concerned that there might be problems with that so the story is all these people complaining that hey we had to sit in this hot stuffy car for three hours while they were fixing it and i understand if you're a passenger you might be a little upset by it but at the same time you're on a train that has just hit a car so badly that the locomotive no longer works it's just it's one of the things I think that you chalk up to and you say kind of stuff happens and you got to kind of roll with the punches. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, Mike Spaulding, it is a hot ticket. The... Um, Bucks, of course, we were just talking about Game 5 is Saturday mm-hmm. night, and I think it's one of those deals where kind of like the Packers in their playoffs, people are kind of like looking at their watches saying, okay, when, when is the game going to start? Mm-hmm. In some cases, people are kind of treading water. So the Game 5 is in is in Phoenix, and of course you can hear it here on WTMJ. And, and everybody knows about all the stuff that's been going on in the Deer District, and you see all these pictures and images of thousands and thousands of people down there. The, the other thing, and I give the Bucks credit for this, um, and they, they've done it again. They're opening up the lower bowl at, at Fiserv for a watch party. And the deal is it's 10 bucks, and some of it goes to the Bucks, Others go to the Bucks Foundation. So it's, it's partly for a good cause. Um, that's already sold out. Those yeah. ni- the 9,000 seats are sold out. The first two games sold out, too, I believe, as yep. well. The second one for sure did really, really quickly. Right, right. Doors open at 7 p.m. It's reserved seating, I guess. But th- those, so you've got nine. It is kind of amazing when you think about how people are jumping on the, the bandwagon and what a hot ticket is. So you've got the 9,000 people that are paying 10 bucks a piece to go and, and just sit and watch it mm-hmm. on the big screen TV. But you you got that collective experience. Yeah. And then, I don't know, 10, 15, 20,000, however many people they have outside. I mean, the, the city has definitely caught Bucks fever. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, props to the Bucks for recognizing that. And, and you know, we've heard all these these sports teams just, you know, hurt by COVID and not being able to have fans for two years. This is a great way for them to, to get revenue. And also you mentioned some of it's going to the foundation, which is a, a good cause. And uh, you get to say you went to Pfizer for a playoff game, even if they weren't at home. Right, you just right, say right, you went to the playoffs. Right, even if you didn't spend $1,400 <laughs> exactly. on the secondary market to, to buy a ticket. No, I think it's it's cool. it's one of the reasons, Mike, that I think I, I all, it's that kind of communal watching experience. Because you, you could say, okay, you, you can you can stay at home. You've got your big screen TV at home. You've got you know the the beers in the refrigerators. I mean, they're just saying discount con- con- prices, but you still you know you're, you're paying a bit for whatever it's going to be. You've got you got to go to the bathroom. Well, you don't have to wait in line. You don't have to get up. And, and yet and yet you've got nine thousand people that are going to be inside for that experience, and the thousands outside. It's it's for people who wonder if movies are going to ever come back. Mm-hmm. My, my answer is, yeah, I don't know if they're going to come back as strong as they were a few years ago, but and clearly like home entertainment and the streaming is a challenge, but people like to be around other people, and you like 
that communal experience and you you want to be there and yeah it's fine to be cheering with your your spouse or you know a couple of your friends but it's cooler to be with 9000 people that are going oh, yeah. nuts yeah no exactly it's awesome i and i love too that our t- we we talked yesterday about how friendly our teams seem you know and yeah. how how likable they are i'll never forget that in 2018 when the brewers were in the nlcs i went to a bucks game on one of the nights they were playing and the bucks had the brewers game on all the TVs around the or, or around Fiserv, and I just right. thought it was really kind of cool for them to say, "Look, you know, we're happy that you're here, but we also know that you're interested in our friends, you know, down the road at, at Amfam Field, and we're going to lean into it." Right. I, I think it's so cool. I am. Um, I and I, I mean, I, I alluded to this yesterday. I've got tickets to the Brewers game on Tuesday night, and and so we know that there. And I'm 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 going to go to the game and with my buddy and my mm-hmm. my wife and a couple of other friends. We we get tickets, so we're going to go. But that that of course is the night of Game Six, yeah. so you know that there's going to be a game there. And I I'm just going to be fascinated to see how all this plays out because you know will will you know will will the Brewers during a baseball game you know will there be stuff for people to check out? And even if they're not, I was just saying yesterday. I'm sure it's going to be a weird experience, and I'm looking forward to forward to talking about it on the next day because especially if the Bucks win tomorrow night, and let let's say best case scenario that they win the NBA championship, they're they're playing. This is the game that could let them win. You know, the Bucks in six. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine what it's going to be like sitting at the Brewers game, and you know everybody's going to be watching it on their phones and stuff, yeah. and you'll be at a period where nothing at all is happening in the bottom of the third inning and all of a sudden people are just going nuts because Giannis had some dunk or something like that it's it's one of those things where it's just going to be an interesting experience I think it is and something that I think we're lucky to have you know who else is very excited about it is bar owners oh well yeah <laughs> oh, well, the shuttles are going to just be going crazy oh yeah well it, it's and this is see this is the thing that it, it's just great for the community it's great mm-hmm. for the hospitality industry I mean you look at at everything that was lost in 2020 and this is um I, it was, I, I could be wrong. With isn't this the week where the Democratic National Convention would have been, or I, either if not this week, next week, or yeah. the week before that? Yeah, yesterday would have been day one. It would have been the Wednesday of 2020. Yeah, right. So I mean, you just think of 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 that and, and all the all the revenue that people thought were going to be coming into the bars and the restaurants mm-hmm. and the hotels and all that stuff, and we just we just completely and totally lost it. So th- this is a very cool thing because I it's going to take a long time for like the hospitality industry and stuff th- to get back to it. But this is this is kind of a good step. And and, and you're right. I'm sure. Um, it, I I'm kind of curious. We're we're going to a restaurant tomorrow night for for dinner, and the restaurant. Typically runs shuttles to like Brewers games and Bucks games and things like that. We're, we're just going to eat at the restaurant, but I, I'm kind of I'm wondering if if they're still like running shuttles down to the Deer District or something for this. That's a great question. Every time I've been down there, I've been part of the broadcast, so I have right. not been like looking at the street. You all of a sudden you find yourself in front of everything and you're kind of squished in there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know because it's all closed off still. Third Street. There's a lot right. of you know security and stuff like that. But yeah, that's a great question. I, I I mean, I, I kind I doubt it, but I, I just, but again, I, I don't know. I would think that they're only doing it to live events, but you know, who knows? But regardless, it, it's, it's just, it's great. 
The weather for Saturday night is supposed to be mm-hmm. outstanding as well, so we don't have to worry about that. And if the Bucks, I'm telling you, if the Bucks could somehow win, you know, win or lose, it's going to be a heck of a game on next Tuesday. But if the Bucks could somehow win on on Saturday night, so they've got a chance to close it out at home, uh, th- this city is going to be just bonkers. It's going to be it's going to be wild. We've already been like mapping out a little bit of our okay. If if it was, what would a parade possibly look like? What and so it's impossible not to just kind of get excited and let your mind wander a little uh-huh. bit. But um, just thinking about like what would Wisconsin Avenue look like and and. It would be awesome. Yeah, and so we'll 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 see. And that's the great thing about sports too. There is a winner or a loser. So by this time next week, we will know how it all turned out. <laughs> yeah, that's by by yeah. by th- this time next next Friday, we will know how it all turned out. All right, hey, when we come back, we were talking about hot tickets. I want to tell you about something that's not as hot a ticket. Are you surprised? Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, we were talking about the, the the hot ticket that is that is the Bucks games, including the fact that um, if you if you if you want to go to the game in person on uh, what would be the final home game, one way or the other of the year, you're you're, you're going to pay a, a a lot. That it's just kind of the supply and demand. But the Bucks, very very hot ticket, and you can understand because there's this huge bandwagon. All right, it's something that at least based on preliminary numbers isn't necessarily as hot a ticket. My question to you is, will it pick up and will it sell out? Uh, Early last month, former President Trump and former Fox News host Bill O'Reilly announced that they would be doing a joint history tour featuring four stops in in December um, and apparently that the way this is going to set up is that uh, Bill O'Reilly is going to be on stage and he's going to be you know questioning President Trump tickets um, went on sale for the event a month ago June 14th they're doing this in four uh, large venues they're doing one at the Amway Center in Orlando on December 12th. That's a 20,000-seat stadium. Then they're going to uh, the American Airlines Center in Dallas. That's a 20,000-seat um, stadium. That's December 19th. Then they're going to Houston, and they're going to be at the 19,000-seat Toyota Center. And then they're um, coming back to South Florida, and they're going to be doing an event as well. The the ticket prices um, start at around a hundred bucks. Most tics, most seats are priced between a hundred and three hundred bucks. There is at all these a VIP meet and greet package that goes for around eight thousand five hundred dollars and includes getting pictures taken with Trump and O'Reilly and a pre-show forty-five minute reception. So that that's the deal. The tickets have been on sale for about a month. The events are not until December. So there's still a lot of time. We're in July, so August, September, October, November. You're still like four and a half months out. But but here's the report in Politico today. Ticket, this is the headline, ticket sales are moving slowly for the coming Trump O'Reilly Stadium Tour. Time remains to sell out the venues, but those familiar with the current sales pace say it is lacking behind other acts. And the first sentence is, Donald Trump is having trouble selling advance tickets for his upcoming speaking tour, 
with Bill Riley, according to interviews with ticketing officials for the venue. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, interestingly, what's happening is when they chose these venues, they they did not pick small places. It's not like they said, hey, we're going to come to the, the Riverside Theater. No knock on the Riverside Theater. We're going to come to the Riverside Theater in, in Milwaukee that has, what, like 2,000 seats. They're trying to essentially sell out and pack large stadiums that, you know, means you've got to sell 19,000, 20,000 tickets to do it. And, and right now, they're lagging. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there enough interest? And again, it's early. It's only been a month. But a lot of times when this stuff gets announced, it's, it's that first month where there, there's the big rush, where people want to go out and buy the tickets. Will Will these events sell out? Or will, is there... And if they if they don't sell out, is it because it's the ticket prices? Is it because there's too many? You, you've tried to pick two venues that are too large. Is it because th- there's not enough interest? I mean, people have perhaps seen former President Trump at, at events and things like that, and and they've been able to do it for free, and they're reluctant to pay a hundred or two hundred or three hundred dollars for it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. People will definitely, in my opinion, go to these events. Whether or not they will sell out, I think, is a much more difficult question. If you were asking me, my my guess is probably not. And and I think I'm kind of wondering why they picked venues as large as this to do it. I think if you had picked a, a smaller venue in these areas... You know, you, you, could you have drawn 5000 Could you have drawn 10000 at these ticket prices? Absolutely. Can you draw 20000 I kind of doubt it. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you were in these various cities, I mean, w- would you drop 100 to 300 bucks for a ticket to see Bill O'Reilly and former President Trump? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think 20000 unless unless they just decide to open up the gates and, and give 10,000 people free tickets. I, I just I don't see them getting 20000 What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if you were aware of this, but about a month ago, former President Trump and former talk show host, Fox talk show commentator host, Bill O'Reilly announced that they were doing a joint uh, tour that they call it the the history tour and they, they booked themselves into four large venues um, you know, one in, let's, let's see I mean, it's, it's in Orlando where, where the basketball teams play, a 20,000 seat venue in Orlando 20,000 seat venue in uh, Dallas, 19,000 seat venue in Houston, and another large venue in uh, in South Florida, and they're they're selling tickets. the The typical ticket will go between one hundred and three hundred bucks, and at least according to the story in Politico today, that the sales have have not have. They're selling tickets, but there's lots and lots of seats available. Now, it's true that you're still four months away, but a lot of people are saying that these sales are lagging other events. And I'm wondering, 
see, I think they're going to have trouble filling these size of venues for that price of, of, of money. I, I'm surprised that they didn't pick smaller venues that they, they would unquestionably fill. Could you fill a 5,000-seat venue? No question about it. Could you fill a 10,000-seat venue? Maybe. Could you fill a huge stadium like that or a huge arena? I think that's where the issues um I think that's where the issues are. Jeff, I think here's a text that makes an interesting point. I think people are still a bit apprehensive about going out into large-scale settings. My son and I attended Game 6 against uh, Brooklyn in Milwaukee. That's the Bucks. Ticket prices were reasonable at $100 for a good seat. I was amazed at how many open seats there were. Don't get me wrong, there were a lot of people, but fewer than I expected. Okay, um, here's somebody says, I pay tens of thousands to see them. Count me in. Is the media purposely not advertising it? Well, okay, it, it, it is a private, first of all, in this particular case, I don't think it's the media's job to advertise a, a, a private for-profit <laughs> event. I mean, if, if uh, you know, if, if the promoters that are, are billing this and want to fill it, they're the ones that have the jobs of promoting it and, and advertising. I don't think the media should be in the business of, of selling tickets, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Michelle Obama or or whatever. That's kind of the promoters sort of things. Um, Jeff, it's the Lollapalooza tour. I wouldn't spend 10 cents to listen to the former president complain about losing. Chris in Wauwatosa says, absolutely not. I'm not going. Look, here's the bottom line of all this. It's sometimes your, your reach exceeds your grasp and sometimes your grasp exceeds your reach i'm sure when people presented this to the the former president who's looking for ways to make a comeback and by the way i understand that there's still lots and lots of people who take their cues from president trump and it's one thing if he were to do you know a rally at an airplane you know hangar in des moines iowa or milwaukee wisconsin or orlando florida or whatever and people could come out and they could see him for free i i think there's no question that there would be an interest that this is going to be the first real test about whether or not as a private figure whether or not he still has the clout that when you have to actually pay money to to see him and we're not talking about a republican party fundraiser we're we're talking about having to shell out 300 bucks to go sit in an arena whether or not he still has that clout like i say i think I think we'll know more as it gets a little bit closer. I think there's going to be people there. There's going to be a lot of people there, 20,000 people there at an average of $200 a head. I don't see it, but I could be wrong. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.